Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. You can find your seats and uh, meet some new people, continue conversations later. Uh, We are in our series in the book of Revelation. Our series is called Blessed. Uh, And then a question mark, and the reason for that is we've talked about it week after week. Most people, when they read the book of Revelation, they don't think of blessed. They think of cursing, judgment, arguments, mess. And yet, when John wrote the book, we talked about this before, he said, the one who reads this is blessed. Those who hear it and keep it are blessed. And that was in the first chapter. And in the last chapter, John says, blessed is he who heeds this book. So the book was written to be a blessing. To, to, and blessing, the word blessing means happy. This book should make you happy. And we're in a chapter today that may be one of the most argumentative, not happy chapters that you get in fights with with people all the time. And I'm going to attempt my best to break this down so that you can find some joy and happiness in this passage, and when people want to argue about it, you can look at them and say, no, I want to give you some joy and happiness that I learned from this passage. Uh, Each week I've talked about this, and more than ever, this is a great reminder this week. Because remember what Jesus said before he left the earth, before he was transfigured before his disciples after his death, and he came back to life, the only religious leader to ever do that, He came back to life. That's why he can claim to be God, because he has power over death. He told his disciples, because his disciples were questioning. They said, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to your people, Israel, at this time? In other words, they knew from the Old Testament that a Messiah was going to come and restore the kingdom and become a king and make the earth right again, and they knew this. God's Old Testament people were supposed to go out into the world to reach the rest of the world and to show them what it looked like to walk with God. That's what he told his people to do in the Old Testament. You're going to be my people, you're going to look different, and you're going to go out into the world, and there will be people that I lead to you that will submit, that will surrender, and then there will be those that fight you. And you're going to have to go to war with. Like, this is what the Old Testament was about. And so they're wondering, Jesus, is it now time for you to restore your kingdom? Now, this is critical because this is what you hear whenever we do the book of Revelation. Everybody wants to start listing all the things that show, see, that's Russia, that's America, that was this, that was that. Oh, look here, ah, ah, it's kingdom time. If you don't hear anything else from this sermon Hear this. The reason Jesus Christ was crucified was because all of his people had the end times figure out, figured out, they thought, and he didn't fit it. So they killed him. Let me repeat that. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, everybody had it figured out how, how the Messiah, how, how things were going to go down. And when Jesus came and didn't do it the way they had it figured out from the Bible, how they saw everything fit together, they all agreed, let's kill him. And we're no different today. We take a book of blessing and happiness and do with it killing one another, attacking one another, attacking Christ himself no differently than when we crucified Christ 2,000 years ago because he wasn't the Messiah we were looking for that was going to bring the kingdom we wanted so that our flesh was pleased and we got the happiness and blessing we were looking for. 
Because he said, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. And I'm telling you, there's a blessing coming, but not yet. And we still fight that today, and we still argue about it today. And we're still crucifying Christ today in our own hearts and in our lives and in our world because we can't stand the message he gave. He told his disciples, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by his own authority. Remember, when Jesus wrote that, the scripture we're going to look at today was already written in the Old Testament in chapters 7, 8, and 9 of Daniel. It's a repeat. It's a repeat of what was already written that the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders thought they had figured out. And today we look at this passage and we're going to look in Revelation and we're going to look at the, the passage that we're going to look at and we think, oh, we got it figured out. I heard this teacher and that teacher and he's got his charts and he's got all his stuff. And Jesus said to them, because they thought they had it figured out, he said, it is not for you to know. Then why do we even have it? Why is it written down? Just so you kind of know that there's something coming. But you're not going to know the times and periods. You can know the story. You can know the purpose. You can know what's going to go down. But you will not know the times and periods. Will not. They had enough information we're going to see today in Daniel to figure out the times and periods without John having to write it down again. If, it's figure, if you can figure it out. Which Jesus said you can't. But then he said, here's the great news. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to look at charts. You don't have to freak out. You don't, all you have to do is receive the power I'm going to give you from the Holy Spirit to go out and tell people about how great I am, to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. That's what you got to worry about. You don't got to worry about times and periods. Don't worry about it. Just be faithful. Just do simple faith. Do the next right thing. Obey me. Listen to me. Love me. Love the church. Love people. You just do the next right thing. You're good. You don't got to worry about times, periods, nothing. You don't have to freak out about it. You can just celebrate it. Be like, wow, there's going to come a time when Jesus comes again. I'm in. Hosanna. Do you even know what Hosanna means? It means deliverer, salvation. It, it's a cry of you're going to save us. You're going to deliver us. Hosanna in the highest. The Savior, the deliverer in the highest is going to come. That's what the word means. But when? But how? I got to figure it out. No, you don't. And if you do take that time to try to figure it out, you know what you're not doing? Verse 8. You're distracting yourself from being a witness, which is exactly what the people of Jesus and Jesus' day crucified him for because he was distracting the people from their power and their authority to tell what people what to do. And they said, we won't have that. You're going to the cross. So as we dive in today, I needed to lay all that out for you because, again, Jesus wrote this with all the info, most of the information we're going to see today, they had in Jesus' day, and he told them, you will not know. And they could have looked at him and said, but Daniel said, and Daniel said, and Daniel said. And we look back and say, and Daniel and John said, from you. So we got it figured out. No, you don't. And quit arguing. We are to be his witnesses, to talk about how great and beautiful and wonderful it is. And no, we don't know the times or periods. It's okay to say, I think it could be this or could be that. That's okay. But when you get to a place where you're more evangelistic about what you think you know than what you really know, which is Jesus himself and what he's done, you're in a bad place. Don't go there. And I'll say that to any pastor, any Christian. Just stop. And it doesn't make me very popular sometimes when I say it. People get very offended. 
just like they were offended when Jesus said this to them. So let's dive in. We've looked over these passages. These are some of the sermon series of the last nine weeks. You can go back and listen to those on our podcast if you'd like. But today, the title of the sermon is simple. Beasts and Lambs, Pragmatism. We're going to see beasts and lambs. So we're going to see. Let me ask you, are you a beast or a lamb? A lamb's kind of a beast. It's just kind of a weak beast. It's kind of a puny beast. They don't really have, like, real teeth. They just chew grass. They can't even, like, they bite, but, you know, sheep bite, but it's like, eh, it's not terrible. See, most of us want to be beasts. We want to be strong and rip things apart and We don't want to be lambs. And yet Jesus' favorite reference that we see in Revelation is he's called the lamb that was slain over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. He's not called the lion of the tribe of Judah over and over. He's not called the beast over and over. Yes, it's mentioned, but he's called the slain lamb, the lamb of God over and over and over and over again in Scripture. We just came out of three symbols looking at a woman, a dragon, and a son. Remember, Revelation is symbols. The first chapter talks about, I'm going to give you symbols. John, in this moment, in the last couple of chapters, has been told, these are signs, these are symbols, these aren't like exact things. These are signs and symbols of what are going to come. When you read Daniel, which we'll look at in a moment, you'll see that Daniel is even told what some of those signs and symbols are. They're not beasts. Those beasts represent nations and authority. We don't know which nations. So let's dive in. Revelation 12, 16, where we stopped last week, it said, but the earth helped the woman. Remember, there was a woman, a dragon, and a son. You can go back and look at that, the images he was giving. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. The dragon, we're told in the previous chapter, is the devil, is Satan, which means adversary and accuser. So the dragon is an adversary, he's he's bringing war, and he's an accuser. So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. Those who keep the commands and have the testimony, i.e. what we just read in Acts chapter 8, or 1-8, right? You're going to go out, you're going to give your testimony, you're going to tell people about the good commands, ordinances, and laws of God, and how great it is to follow him. That's what you're going to do. That's who the devil and this dragon are now going after for all of eternity until the son finally comes back to fix it all. That's the point of this. It's saying all offspring, anyone born of a woman, is anyone else born other than of a woman? That includes you, that includes me, we're in a war. He's been left to wage war, he's been thrown down to the earth to do that. And can I just tell you, the reason we're talking about pragmatism is because I believe that pragmatism is probably one of the greatest destructive false teachings of our day. The reason, again, they crucified Jesus is because his message was not very pragmatic. Pick up your cross and die. Surrender to the Romans, love your enemies. If someone asks you to carry, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry something for you for one mile, you should go too. Yeah, that gets you killed in our culture too in America. You have that kind of conversation. That's not very pragmatic. That's not going to bring our nation back. That's not going to be good. 
why are you worried about those things? I'm not saying that I want the nation to be awful, but why don't you just focus on sharing about how great God is and showing people how great his commandments are? Why are you consumed by everything else? He looks, and it says, the beast stood on the sand of the sea. Can I just tell you, when you read the Old Testament, you have to remember Israel is a sliver, right? And they get attacked from the land. That's, that's how they normally get attacked. And then they have the sea that they come in. Whenever you see this idea of people coming from the sea, you have to remember, we're used to people coming from the sea. We're used to sea attacks, because we have big battleships that park off the coast and launch cruise missiles. Like, yeah, that's bad. Big ships come, they kill. It was rare in this day to have sea attacks. That was, that was not a normal thing because it was so difficult. They didn't have like catapults. They shot stuff. Like you had to get the boats to the shore and then you're picking them off. So this beast is literally standing on the shore. He's ready to cross every ocean boundary to wage war against man. That's the point. And it's that symbol of nation going to nation all around us. Revelation 13 says, and I saw a beast. So you've got the dragon who's on the shore, not the beast. The dragon's on the shore. And then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. So literally the dragon is waiting for the beast to arrive, to bring destruction. He had 10 horns and seven heads. I don't know about you, I always think about that and I think of Godzilla, you know what I mean, when the, the three-headed dragon, like I was a big Godzilla fan as a kid, so I always looked like that's what I picture. I'm not saying it's right, it's just what pops in my head. On his horns were 10 diadems, those are crowns, that means he has 10 authorities, there's, there's authority given to him on each head of these things. And I saw, uh, and then it says, and his heads were blasphemous names. In other words, there were names that spoke the opposite of God. That's what blasphemy is. Blasphemy is not cursing. Blasphemy is speaking something that's not true about God or twisting what's true about God. That's what blasphemy is. So literally, each symbol of authority that he has on his head, the whole purpose is to try to get everyone to believe something about God that's not true. Ten authority statements Ten authority nations trying to get people to believe something about God that's not true. That's the blasphemy. And then he says, the beast I saw was like a leopard. That's a beast. His feet were like a bear. There's another beast. And his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So now we know that Satan has been given power, a throne, and authority on this earth, which we looked at last week. Satan's been given limited capacity. He doesn't have authority over Mars. He doesn't have authority over Jupiter. Just here. This is the limited authority he has. Maybe if we start a colony in Mars, we won't have any sin. I'm kidding. That won't happen. We take that with us. He goes on and he says, One of of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded. But his fatal wound was healed. So again, he looks like he's the Messiah. He looks like he could die and come back to life like Jesus. Oh, he's just like Jesus. But it says he looks like it was fatally wounded. It wasn't fatally wounded. It was all ruse. But his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. It also means that Satan has some ability to heal. Did you know that? Satan has the ability to bring people to the point of death and then bring them back to speak blasphemies, which we see all the time in our culture. We see it all the time that people 
go to heaven, right? And they get a picture of heaven and they come back and tell everybody what they saw. And it's nothing like you read about in Revelation. Nobody's on their knees. Nobody's crying out to God. Nobody's panicked that they came face to face with the light of God. They're all like, oh, it's just so wonderful and peaceful and great. I'm like, that's not how anyone I see in the Bible approaches God. Anywhere through scripture. The second they see the Lord, they're like, oh, fall is dead, man. And then if you know him and you've been forgiven, he's like, it's okay, get up. Come on, I want to show you some things. There's a moment of authority there where you don't just get to waltz in and see everything. You have to check your authority at the door, and once you have, then you get to see everything. It's like a ticket, right? You can't just go to whatever sporting event you want and say, well, I showed up. I should be led in. Where's your ticket? Well, I don't have one, but I'm a human. I have every right to watch this game. I've been a fan my whole life. You need to let me in. No. If you try to come in, they'll put you on your knees, on your face. They'll put you in handcuffs, and they'll take you away. I just couldn't believe in a God that would do that. But you'll believe in a sporting event and sporting event and concert after concert and you'll submit to that, but you won't submit to a God that says you have to buy a ticket. Only you can't buy it. It's already been purchased for you. You just have to go to will call and pick it up. But I don't want to stand in line. I don't have that kind of time. And so I just walk in. No, there's an authority. And so here there's this authority that's here. And then it says, look at this. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. The whole earth was amazed at Jesus, and they killed him. Because he's not what we were looking for. And what he said is not what we want. But this beast, these leaders, these ten leaders possibly, whatever it means, which we don't know, oh, they're going to say everything we want to hear. They're going to please our flesh. They're going to say all the peace and blessing that we want here and now, not reserved for heaven, and we are going to be all in. And we're going to say, oh, but look, they must be right because they know how to heal. They know, they know how to fix things. They're very pragmatic. I, I can trust them. They have my best interest in mind for now because that's what beasts do. Beasts convince you that they have your best interest in mind and they always take you to a trap. Right? That's what beasts do. That's what lions and tigers and bears, oh my, do. They think, you know, have you ever watched the video? And they wait, they wait for that little, little one to wander away, away from the pack. And it's all peaceful, and you can hear the peaceful scene. You see a little gazelle eating its grass. Oh, that's so sweet. And all of a sudden in the weeds, you see like three lions, and you're like, this isn't going to be sweet anymore. Um, little gazelle, run, run, (laughs) you know? And sure enough, they pounce. They weren't ready. They wandered from the herd, and here is what you have. You know what's interesting to me? If we're really honest with ourselves, I said this earlier, we all like the beasts more than we do the lamb. You want to know why I know? I don't know a single Christian school that has a lamb as their mascot. Let me repeat that. I don't know a single Christian school that has a lamb as their mascot. And yet it's the favorite reference to the Son of God and who he is all through Scripture. We love eagles, we love lions, bears, and tigers. I mean, Maryland does have a turtle. I feel bad for them. But you know, they're terrapins. I mean, 
No, we got to have something big and strong and powerful. We don't want a lamb. That's what, the lambs are coming. <laughs> we slaughter them every year. <laughs> That's why nobody wants to be a lamb. Because you know what's coming. Like lamb chops. Yeah. Bring them in. He goes on. And again, the beast is pragmatic. Look at what Daniel says in chapter 7. He says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me and the visions in my mind terrified me. Let me explain something to you. In Daniel 7, 8, and 9, he's given a vision that's very similar to Revelation, a lot of mirror pictures. People have argued for years about how they fit together and whatever else. But can I just tell you what David, we're going to see Daniel's response is over and over again to these visions? What Daniel did not do is write a book and sell it and become a bestseller and become a king in Babylon. He didn't pull out his charts and write all his charts and tell us how to figure this out and leave us a book. Every time Daniel sees a vision, every time you see Daniel see a vision in the Old Testament and in these chapters, it says he was confused, he was distressed, and even to the point of sickness, we'll see in a moment. It, didn't ex- it was one of those moments of like, so heavy, what am I seeing? What is this? I can't make sense of this. And Daniel continued to say, but I have to tell. I have to tell what this is. And he says, I approached the one, or approached one of those who were standing by and asked him the true meaning of all this, which is all this beasts and the four beasts that Daniel writes about in chapter 7. These huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise up from the earth. So it's explained to Daniel, these beasts are not real beasts. It's not like there's going to be a giant you know, sky dragon that comes. There's not going to be a sky, giant sky lizard or a giant sky lion. No, these are, these, are, these are symbols of authority, earthly authority. Who has the most authority? Who's at the top of the food chain on the earth? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Like they're at the top of the food chain. They have the ultimate authority to kill whatever they want and even each other. That's what they're saying. And he says, but... So if you stop there, you're like, man, this earth thing, this is bad. And then it says, but the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So yeah, there's beast. It's scary. There's authorities that kill. There's all this mess going on. But I am telling you, the promise, this was written 600 years before Jesus came. 600 years was, but there's a forever and ever that's going to come And those who know him will receive the kingdom. So when the disciples ask, when is your kingdom going to come? The answer is, well, it will come someday, forever and ever, but not yet. And while you're waiting, you need to be my witnesses. And to tell people there's a kingdom coming you're not ready for. And you need to lay down your life to make that happen because that's what Jesus did when he came to establish his kingdom. And again, we'd rather be beasts than lambs. You know, most false prophets and people who think they have this figured out are not distressed and almost sick because of these things. It's not like they're warning and saying, oh, please repent. Most of the time they're trying to convince how right they are in pride. Be very, very careful with that. Revelation 3 goes on. It says, one of it, in one of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed. We looked at that. They followed the beast. He was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. It's an authority that was given to him. 
Remember, all God has to do to mess with authority is to take his away. Just to step back and let us take our own authority. It never goes well. Whenever I take authority over my own life or try to take authority in my own home, it doesn't go well for me or anyone else in the home. And most of the rest of the home tells me, it's not going well because you're under your own authority. Get under God's, please. He says, they worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. So now we're seeing a false trinity happen. There's going to be another third beast that comes. It's kind of this false trinity that we're supposed to have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and now it's dragon, beast, and another beast. Again, it's a twisting of who God is. It's a blasphemy. It's a picture of God that looks like it's God. It looks like it's Jesus. Looks like, like it's always this twisting that happens. And we love the twisting because I don't want to be a lamb. I want to be a winner with the beasts. I don't want to be on the lamb team. I want to be on the eagles. <laughs> Or the lion's team. He goes on and he says, And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? He just eats whatever he wants. He takes whatever he wants for his flesh. A mouth was given to him to speak boasts, that's pride, and blasphemies to say, God didn't really say that. Remember the original sin? What was the original sin of Satan? Satan said, Did God really say That's a really good thing for you to ask every single day, almost every moment of every day. Did God really say? Because there's a bunch of people running around like the beast and the dragon who are going to blaspheme and say, this is what God says. This is what God says. The reason we go through so much scripture all the time is because I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to what God says. Know the book. I could come up with some slick three point, four point, whatever, and quote five old dead people and Yeah, great. I'm not against that from time to time, but goodness gracious, let's know the word. He goes on and he says, he was also given authority to act for 42 months. He began to speak blasphemies against God, to blasphemy his name and his dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. He's going to blaspheme God's name. He's going to blaspheme his dwelling, said, God said you could dwell here. We can save the world. We can save the planet. It's not going to be destroyed. Nope, this isn't his dwelling yet. His dwelling's in heaven. He's going to bring heaven to earth. So I'm not blaspheming the dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. He's going to blaspheme you because your citizenship, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is not the United States of America. It's not Korea. It's not China. Your citizenship, according to Scripture, is in heaven. You are simply a temporary ambassador on this side of eternity, being a witness for Jesus until he comes back. That's all you are. That's all I am. And we forget that. And we need to be very careful because it's easy for us to find ourselves blaspheming his name, blaspheming his dwelling, and blaspheming those who actually have their eternity. Have you ever heard anybody said they're so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good? I have never met anyone so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good. I've met a lot of people who are so earthly minded they're of no heavenly good. But if you are truly focused on heaven, you are truly focused on God, you are truly focused on eternity, the reason we don't like those people is the same reason we don't like Jesus. Because it's like we can't manipulate them because they know they have everything, and they're like, I'm not buying what you're selling. I'm getting everything someday, so it doesn't really matter. Have a nice day. 
You should know Jesus. We won't fall for it. He goes on and says, and he was permitted. Permitted. This authority that's been given is temporary and permitted. It's not like God's lost his authority. God's given temporary reign and power. He's saying, I'm giving you a temporary reprieve. By the way, if you don't know Jesus, you are, be, you are given a temporary reprieve while you're alive so that you don't have to face the judgment of God. But there's going to come a day when that reprieve and that time will be over and the war you've been permitted to wage against God will be over and you're going to have to stand before him and you will lose. Just like this beast and this dragon later do. It says they wage war against the saints and to conquer them. So you think you're in a war? You are. (laughs) That's why it feels like a war. Because you're in one. This is what's happening every day. And we're shocked. We're like, like, we don't believe the premise that as a believer, I'm no, this is no longer my citizenship, which means I'm a foreign nation invading a nation. Yeah, people aren't going to like that. Never works well when a foreigner, like that's a tough thing. He looks and he says, he was also given authority over every tribe, language, and people, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. There it is. Here's the beasts. They look great. They're powerful. They look like they're winning. They look like they got it all. And there's the slaughtered lamb. So let me get this straight. I can have a lot of cool stuff in this world. I can have a lot of things work out for me, or I can just have my name written in a book. I think I want the stuff. What's behind door number two? Because we don't understand what having your name written by God means. And we don't believe that it is awesome to have your name known personally by the God of the universe. That he loves you so deeply and cares so deeply that he writes it down and says, they are mine and I am yours. And no one will break this, period. No beast, nothing. And isn't that what we all long for? A nation, marriage, relationships, a church. And it's all broken on this side of eternity. He goes on and throughout history, you got to realize that people have practically and pragmatically said yes to the beast because we're all about pragmatism. It's all about what works. Listen, when Jesus went to the cross, in that moment, in that moment, everyone was saying, what a waste. What a pointless ministry. That doesn't work. Don't do it. When Jesus went to the cross, he had one follower, John, who's writing this. His mother, she doesn't count. She'll show up wherever he is. Regardless of whether he's righteous or he's an idiot, your mom will be there. And a prostitute who people question probably, is he sleeping with her? Is that his lover? And people have made even movies and plays about that. Those are the three people at the foot of Jesus' cross. Everyone else, silent, scattered, or in agreement. It looked like the most disastrous ministry ever. He went, listen, 
he went from 15,000 to 30,000 followers somewhere along in there to the point of coming in Jerusalem, Hosanna in the highest, then in just a few days, three people are left. That's a bad ministry plan, according to our models. None of us would repeat that, which is why we don't like to repeat what Jesus has said. Because the only way that you get to a place where something's different is if you're trusting in a resurrection, which means you've already embraced death. And I want to avoid the death. I want to avoid the suffering. I want to avoid all that. And I want to have all, you can't. It's, a, it's an exchange you make where you say, not my will, but your will be done. I die to myself. I surrender. You're in charge. Whatever you want, this body's yours. Whatever authorities you have in the world, they can do what they want to this body, but I'm untouchable because my name's in the book. And when I show up and they look for the ticket and they look at roll call, they'll say, well, hello, Mr. Shockney. Welcome. So glad you're here. I'm so glad that you decided to take your free ticket that was given by Jesus. And you surrendered your life because now we don't need to require your life eternally. Daniel 7 says this, Then I watched, or I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one different from all the others, extremely terrifying with iron teeth and bronze claws, devouring and crushing, trampling with its feet, whatever was left. This is, again, the reference to the bear and the lion and whatever else. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head, about the other horn that came up before which the three fell, and the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke arrogantly and that was more visible than the others. Does this not sound familiar? It's it's the same thing. Like God is consistent. Six hundred over six hundred years later, John's writing the same thing that Daniel wrote. Why would God write the same thing twice? I don't know. If you read your Bible, sometimes he writes the same thing like a thousand times because we don't listen. Or we've so messed it up, he's got to clarify it for us. And then it says, As I was watching, this horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them. That's what we just read in Revelation. Same thing. Until the Ancient of Days arrived, and a judgment was given in favor of the holy ones of the Most High, for the time had come, and the holy ones took possession of the kingdom. It's going to be rough for a while. But I'm telling you, there's coming a time when you will take possession of the kingdom. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the feel good, I feel peace, I feel, I feel. The lust of the eyes, I want, I want, I should have that, I should have this. this should, if God loved me, he'd give me that and give me this. And the pride in one lifestyle. Man, I've measured up. I've been righteous. I've done what God wants. Oh, look at me. You, you do what I do. This is not from the Father, but it's from the world. That's what the beast is going to prey on. The beast is going to prey on the lust of the flesh. He's going to prey on the lust of the eyes. He's going to prey on the pride because that's who he is. And he's the beast, so only one person can kill him, and it ain't any of us. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. What's God's will? God's will is that you would surrender to him saving you. It's what Hosanna means. In the Old Testament, they surrendered to God coming to save them. In the New Testament, they surrendered to Jesus who came to save them. And now we surrender to the God of the Messiah who is going to come, the Messiah who came, and the Messiah who is going to come again. It's the same story, same book, same Messiah, same message, hasn't changed. 
Children, it is the last hour, as you've heard. Are we in the end times? Yep. They were in the end times a thousand years ago, too. They were in the end times 1,500 years ago. They were in the end times 1,800 years ago. Jesus can come back anytime he wants and show us that everything we had figured out, he's like, you thought you had this all figured out? You thought there's going to be a temple built in Jerusalem? There actually is one. I had a little kid build a little model temple, and he stuck it on the little mount, and there's my temple. Did you know I was going to do that? Oh, too bad. Gotcha. Out of the mouths of babes, I built a little temple and stuck it there. So there you go. You didn't even know it was built. Nobody cared. Nobody, nobody cared that there was a temple built by a child. No, we were looking for something big and massive and important. Ah! See, that's the way we think. And He goes on. He says this. Antichrist is coming. Oh, the Antichrist. <laughs> Who is he? Do you realize that in the 1980s, people were convinced that Gorbachev, Mikhail Gorbachev, who had a birthmark on his head, had the mark of the beast, and when Ronald Reagan was shot and survived it, that he was the beast. And it was Gorbachev as the dragon and Reagan as the beast. I'm not kidding you. And the great fire that was going to come from the dragon was the nuclear war that was going to happen. It's, it's coming. It's all happening. we got 42 months left. We've been... I don't think Aunt, Ronald Reagan was just a terrible actor. He's not the Antichrist, I don't think. Like, there, and then he says, and even now many Antichrists have come. Oh. So there's many, and I'm not going to know which one. Nope, you're not. There's going to be many of them. Good luck figuring it out. Just anybody who's Antichrist is do all the, they blaspheme, they have the lust, of the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's all Antichrist. It's blasphemous against Christ. That's the point. You don't listen to that message. Don't listen to Jesus. Don't listen to the Bible. Don't listen to God. Listen to anything else that's pragmatic, that will help you get what you want, but do not, do not, do not listen to God. Don't listen to Father. Don't listen to Son. Don't listen to the Heavenly Family. Don't listen to the Spirit. Don't listen to the Church. Listen to anything else, please. But don't listen to the Lamb because you'll get slaughtered and He doesn't love you and He doesn't care because that's what the Father did to His Son. And I'm not going to believe in some God that would crucify His Son because I love my kids more than that. I'd never let one of my kids be hurt. You don't know the story. You don't understand the message. Dig a little bit deeper. No greater love does a man have than this, that he give his life for his friends. No greater love does a man have than this, than to tell his children, give your life for God's friends. Lay down your life. Otherwise, it will be demanded from you when you get to heaven one day, and that's, you don't want to stand there. So many antichrists have come. It's not Ronald Reagan. Revelation 6, we look back on the fifth seal. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the people slaughtered because of God's word and the testimony. Again, it's this idea, obey God, commandments, ordinances, and their testimony. It's both and. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? So a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow slaves and brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. Oh, that's encouraging. 
So we're waiting around so we can get killed? Maybe I should follow Allah because Allah says, like, I can fight and die in a war and I get a bunch of virgins. So I can be a beast, I can fight, I can die in a holy war and I get everything I want. That sounds sounds like a better option than this whole be a lamb and die and like they're asking for justice to be done and this God's like, not yet. Remember what God said in Peter? He said, the reason I haven't come yet is that I desire that none would perish but all would come to repentance. And so the only reason I haven't given my judgment, the only reason you have another breath and I have another breath is because God isn't done helping us repent more. To show the world how good he is and how wonderful and glorious and powerful he is to save an idiot like me and change an idiot like me and like you. He goes on and says this, 13, if anyone has an ear, he should listen. I, do you, how can you not laugh at that when you read it? Like seriously, do you have an ear? Ah, listen. <laughs> I guess it's something like a dad statement would make, right? Like a dad would say, do you got an ear, son? Yeah. Then listen to me. Right? It's such a dad joke or dad statement that someone would make, right? If anyone is destined for captivity, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. So I'm destined for captivity or sword. Yep, you are. You are, dest- you are not going to be free in this world to just do whatever you want. You're destined to either place yourself captive to the will of God and what he wants to do in serving him And some of you will be called to pick up a sword to defend those, and you will die by that sword by picking up a sword. It's what the Old Testament talks about. But look at what he says. He goes, but to understand this whole captivity sword thing, it's going to demand that you persevere in faith with the saints. You can't do this alone. You're going to need people to go into captivity with, and you're going to need people to fight alongside. If you don't, then you're going to become a beast. You're going to go to the pragmatic. I'm not going to be captive. I'm not, no one's going to do that to me or my people again. I'm going to stand up. Maybe. Maybe that's what God wants. Maybe God is calling some people to pick up a sword and destroy the evil of the world. But maybe you're the one that's evil. Jeremiah, one of my favorite books, it was my call to become a pastor. I fought it for a long time. Many years I fought this passage, Jeremiah 29. Everybody likes to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, but they don't like the context because the context is what we just read. Some people are going to go in captivity. Some are going to die by the sword. This is what the Lord of hosts says. The God of Israel says to all the exiles, that's captive people, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Why were they deported? Because he wanted to show the world what it looks like to have a loving father who both disciplines and saves. And he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. We're slaves. If I have sons and daughters, you know what my kids are going to be doing? Slavery. So how about we just pause on the whole sons and daughters thing? Because I'm not making more slaves for this wicked Babylonian king. Oh, and plant gardens? Every time I plant a garden, the Babylonians just come in and take more tax, and they take more of my stuff. I'm not planting gardens. I'm not doing that. Build houses? 
I don't even own the land. I'm going to build a house, and I don't even own it because the Babylonians own everything. We don't have land ownership in Babylon because we're slaves. Again, this is a stupid model for pragmatism. This is, there's nothing pragmatic about this. Have children? No, it's too, that's hard. That's wicked. That's, children will cost you. They're like 250000 a piece, our culture says. They're expensive little boogers. Build houses. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I, plant gardens. Make sure we can feed ourselves. And then he gets further. He says, seek the welfare of the city I've deported you to. He says, look, you've been deported to a place you don't want to be. A place that isn't your home. So what do you do there? You do these things and you seek the welfare of the city. I had a meeting here on Friday with a new director of the Manicure and with the person who's kind of over it all. They both met with me on Friday. And I looked at them and had this kind of a conversation. We're like, we're just trying to seek the welfare of this place. We don't have an agenda. We're just grateful. We've always said if we built something, it would be a community center. We already have one. So... We're just glad to serve. We just want to be here. We want to leave it better than we found it. We want to serve the community. And at some point, they probably won't like us and throw us out because I'll say something I shouldn't because I preach the Bible. (laughs) But they haven't yet, and we continue to serve. And they were both just amazed at, like, what you guys do. It's just like nobody does this. I'm like, I know. I wish they would. I wish more Christians would have a mentality of this isn't our stuff that I'm in a captive land. I wish more Christians had the mentality that, yeah, we should have more children and that's going to cost us more and it's going to be hard and we're going to have sacrifice. And He says, pray to the Lord on its behalf for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you want them to tell you, that you elicit from them, because that's beast talk. He goes on and he says, they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration, for this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylonian captivity are complete, then I will attend to you and confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. In other words, you're going to live an entire lifetime in captivity, building a bunch of stuff you don't keep, that you can't take with you, your kids can't take with you, and you're going to leave it all behind. Go, go for it. Because 70 years is a lifetime for anybody who's hearing this message. You didn't live long as a slave when you're being beaten and hard work. Like hard labor doesn't lead to long life typically. It shortens your lifespan. And he looks and he says, I am telling you, you're going to die in captivity and I'm going to bring your sons and daughters into a different land. I'm asking you to surrender, to live a simple life, to make me known to the Gentile world, which my people wouldn't do, to fulfill that promise. I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking, and no one else is going to, your prophets don't like this message. Your diviners don't like this message. The people around you don't like this message, but I'm giving it to you because it's the truth. And there's going to come a day when I come back and I take you to be with me and I make it all right. At this point, he says, it's 70 years. By the way, Daniel finds the words of Jeremiah, we'll see in just a second, and it changes his life. He goes on and he says, for I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. 
Not in your flesh. These people are dying as slaves. Be careful how you define your welfare. Be careful how you define disaster. Be careful how you define a future and a hope. He goes on, you will call to me and I will come and pray to me and I will listen. You will come and I will come to you. You'll pray and I'll listen. Yeah, but that doesn't fix my problems. No, it doesn't. You got 70 years. Then he goes on and he says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. I'm not hiding from you. Just because I have you in this situation doesn't mean I'm not there. Doesn't mean I'm not listening. And by the way, Jesus put himself in the same situation. He left heaven to be captive in a man's body, to die and pay a price that we deserve. He modeled what he said for us to model throughout history. Then he says, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place I deported. You have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says concerning the king sitting on David's throne and concerning all the people living in this city. That is concerning your brothers who did not go with you into exile. We say this. Well, God raised up Trump. Well, God's raised up Biden. God raised up Reagan. God raised up Thomas Jefferson. These are all our prophets. They said very wise and important things. They all stole stuff from the Bible. You realize that, right? Like the reason we have three branches of government comes from Isaiah. Has anyone ever told you that? Book of Isaiah says, God is our king. God is our judge. God is our lawgiver. Somebody read that and went, maybe we shouldn't have all three of those sitting in one person's like control. Maybe we should divide that up because we're pretty stupid and we need to checks and balances. You even know that's where it comes from? No, no, it was the Greeks and Romans that figured that out. No, someone literally read the Bible and said, king, judge, lawgiver, Congress, Supreme Court, president. He goes on and he says, but this is what the Lord says concerning that king, concerning your brothers who did not go with you in exile. There were people still in the promised land. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I'm about to send against them sword, famine, and plague. See, this is the first wave of captives. And here they are sitting in Babylon as captives. And it still looks like the king over in Babylon, the king that, or the king in Jerusalem that made a truce with Babylon. It looks like everything's working out for them. And they surrendered to go to Babylon early before they had to. And they're thinking to themselves, why did we choose this life? Look, they got it so good in Jerusalem. The king of Babylon hasn't attacked them and destroyed them. And God is saying, no, 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 you did the right thing by surrendering now because they're going to be slaughtered. And it is true in scripture. The king of Babylon goes back to Jerusalem and he slaughters them. It even says they ripped babies out of mother's wombs to prove a point at how angry he was for breaking the treaty they had with him. A treaty where they went back to Egypt to get Egypt's help and God told them never go back to Egypt or you will be severely judged. And the king said, oh, I can go back and get Egypt to help me fight against Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar went and destroyed Egypt and then came back and said, no mercy. Because he found the treaty in Egypt that Jerusalem had signed. And he said, these captives I love, they at least submitted to my authority. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood up for God in the midst of it. They risked their lives, but they surrendered. So the surrendered ones get to stay. They get slaughtered and they were slaughtered. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I'm about to end. 
Send against them all these things. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and plague. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and a desolation, an object of scorn and disgrace among all the nations. It may look like people got it all figured out. It may look like, oh, look, they're so Christian because of all the pragmatic life. Look at all that they are and all the wealth and good. And look at all the trips they take in their marriage. And oh, it looks, oh, look at how wonderful. That's, that's the Christian model. And God's like, be very careful. Be very careful. I'm not saying that that might not be that they're walking with God and using that for his glory, but be very careful that you don't think that that picture isn't going to be judged if they don't know me. He goes on and says, I will do this because they've not listened to my words. They don't listen. You know the number of people that call themselves Christians? That when they read God's word, it's always an argument with him, not a yes and amen. God says to do simple things that we know are going to cost us and we don't do it because it's like, well, I don't want to pay the price. He says, this is the Lord's declaration that I sent them with my servants, the prophets, time and time again. And you too have not listened. (laughs) I love it. So he's building them up, right? And they're thinking, oh yeah, we're the surrendered ones. We're in captivity. We got it figured out and he's going to get them. And he's like, you haven't listened either. (laughs) Don't think you're something. Daniel says this, this is what he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom of the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down and crush it. The ten horns of the ten kings who will rise from the kingdom, another different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. We three kings, no, that's different. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time and times and half a time. But the court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, And greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will serve and obey him. This is the end of the interpretation. Look at this. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly. My face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. I don't even know how to talk about these things. I'm so scared. I, I don't know what to do with this. Revelation goes on, it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, 1311. He had two horns like a lamb. So now we have the beast, now we have the false lamb, right? It says like a lamb, not that it is a lamb, it's a false lamb. But he sounded like a dragon. That's weird. Looks like a lamb, but talks like a dragon. That's not a lamb. (laughs) That's weird, that tree is... Looks like an apple tree, but it's got oranges on it. I don't think that's an apple tree. You'll know them by their fruit, the scriptures say. It says, he exercises all authority of the first beast on behalf and compels the earth and those who live in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Do you not see that this is a picture of a false Holy Spirit leading to a false Messiah, leading to a false dragon? All in God's name. A blasphemy is not saying, I hate God, he doesn't exist. A blasphemy is saying something about God that's not true. It's twisting to say, I'm God, this is God, this is how it works. That's a blasphemy. And he says, he also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. He's got a football suitcase with a nuke button. 
That's it. That's it. Call, he can call down fire from heaven. I have no idea. He doesn't say that. God explained to Daniel what was going to happen, but he didn't give him the exacts. And he says, look, he's going to be able to do great signs. Don't we love great signs? Prove it. And then when somebody does a great sign, oh, yeah. We'll ignore the grandma who's been faithful for 60 years to follow the idiot who miraculously did some sign. Cast out the faithfulness of grandma and grandpa and people who have lived their lives because they died with nothing, but oh, look at that. That's a sign. I want, to, I want that stock. I want that guy. I want to invest in that. It says he's even going to cause fire. He can show what kind of power he has. Daniel 8, 27. I, Daniel, was overcome. Look at this. Daniel sees another vision in chapter 8. And he says, after I see this vision, which is the vision we're looking at in Revelation, he says, I was overcome and lay sick for days. He sees the vision. He is so overcome with it. He just lays sick for days. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. God has spoken to me. I see the truth. I know we're not living the truth. My people aren't living the truth. We're in captivity. I, don't, I am just sick over this. It's, I'm broken over this. And look at what Daniel does. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was greatly disturbed by the vision and could not understand it. He went to work. Literally. He feels terribly sick. He's overwhelmed. He's got these visions. He doesn't know what to do with it, whatever else. And he's like, so after a few days, I'm like, I got to work. And he got up and went to work for a wicked king. Just like you work for some wicked corporation. He just went to work. I got to be about the king's business. Like, I got to build houses, plant gardens, have children. I got to do the stuff. So I got to go to work to do the stuff. So I got to go to work. I'm not going to sit around and wait for Jesus to come. Well, I saw the vision, Lord, so here I am. I'm just waiting for you. He got busy doing what God had asked him to do and representing God to a Babylonian king and kingdom. Verse 9, he said, I understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, that the number of years for desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So Daniel sees the vision and decides to be faithful without even knowing that the book of Jeremiah existed. He didn't have the answers. He was faithful before he had the answer to the times and the periods. Then one day, as he's being faithful to serve the king, and he's trying to find answers to the king, and he goes and looks for the scrolls of Jerusalem, because, well, our king's more powerful than you, and he probably has the answers you need. So I'm going to go look and read what our king has to say. Oh, our king brought a prophet named Jeremiah. I want to read that. We haven't read that scroll. It's been buried. It's been hidden. So he reads the scroll, and he's like, oh, my goodness, here's the answer. I had no idea. So he goes out and tells the people, i got to get the people ready. They don't know the answer. Here's the answer. God's coming again. He's coming back. We got to get ready for it. How do we get ready? You build houses, you plant gardens, you have kids, and you keep doing the same thing for 70 years, day in and day out. No, no, no. Like, like what else do we do? That's it. That's the plan. Yay. Tell your kids in 70 years, they're going to go back. He's coming again. He's going to come and get us. Yeah, what about me? I'm going to die. Yep, you're going to die. It's going to be terrible. You're going to die a slave. It's worth it. Let's go. I found the scroll. Goes on, he says, So I turned my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, oh, Lord. The great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant to those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned. We've done what's wrong. We've acted wickedly and rebelled and turned away from you. 
from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us. Shame on us. And the day Jesus died, he took all the public shame and answered answered Daniel's prayer. And he says, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God. Though we have rebelled against him and deserve much worse, he has at least allowed us time to get the next generation ready. He goes on and he says this. In 14, this beast deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword wound and yet lived. He was permitted to give a spirit to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever did not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Again, this false trinity, these beasts killing the lambs. Pragmatically, it looks like we should follow the beast. You know, there's a story about this happening in the Old Testament. We're just going to read it real quick. Exodus 32, 1 says this. When the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain. And it's been 2,000 years. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We've been slaves in Babylon like 35, 40 years, Daniel, and you find this scroll and think that fixes things? I don't think so. When the people saw that Moses was delayed, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, let us make a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Then they said, and what did they do? They fashioned a beast, a golden calf. They brought their gold. They gave all of their gold to fashion this calf. And when they got done with the calf and Aaron made the calf for them, Aaron, who was supposed to be a prophet of God, they should have said, no, we are not doing this. We're waiting on Moses. We will not make an image. Again, the beast comes to make an image that people worship. This is what we fall for all the time. We love images. No time in history have we been more an image humanity than we are now. We love image. Try to sit alone for a while without any noise and without a bunch of images around you and see how long that lasts and how long you go to look for your phone to pick it up to scroll. We are an image-loving people. Instead of looking for the image of God, he says, look at this. Then they said, Israel, this is a new God who we made. No, Israel, this blasphemy is your God who brought you out of slavery. You wanted to be delivered and this cow, this is our representation of what he did. And when Aaron saw this, oh, he didn't challenge it. He just built an altar before it. And then made an announcement, there'll be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Oh, great. Moses has been gone. It's been kind of depressing. Now we can have a party because everything's fine now. We, we got it figured out. We got a little cow. This is going to work good. It's all made out of gold. It's very valuable. And early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. We're all in fellowship. We all agree this cow is great. We make a burnt offering. God loves us. And we all agree. This is, see, all the Christians are unified. All God's people are unified. And unity shows pragmatically that God's with you. Because everybody was unified around Jesus when he was crucified. Like, yay, Jesus. No. 
And then he says, the people sat down to eat and drink. Then they got up to play. And that's what we keep doing to this day. And that's what the beast will always promise. Sit down. Take it easy. I, oh, I, I care about you. Here's some drink. I want you to have a good life, fun life. Meanwhile, the other lions are sitting ready to eat you. You're going into a trap. And then it goes on, and Moses saw that the people were out of control. Wait, they're not out of control. They're actually very controlled. They've controlled everything. They, they brought their gold. They built a nice little calf. It's controlled. There's a mold. It's perfect. Like, they've got a plan, right? They're going to do this, and then we're going to have a festival, and then we're going to eat and play. Like, when we're going to play together. Like, this doesn't look out of control. This looks very controlled. We're in control. For Aaron had left them get out of control, resulting in weakness before their enemies. And Moses stood at the camp. In other words, weakness before the beasts that are going to come. And Moses stood at the camp's entrance and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites gathered to him. And he told them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Every man fashioned his sword to his side. Three thousand men fell dead that day among the people. Afterward, Moses said, Today you've been dedicated to the Lord, since each man went against his son and his brother. Therefore, you've brought a blessing on yourselves today. To the people, you've committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. Maybe God will save you, but I don't know. I don't know. This was egregious. And we're in the same boat. God, you don't know what I've done. It's so egregious. And there's a new Moses, Jesus, who stands before the throne of the Father and says, I would like to atone for them. I know how bad it is. I know their idolatry, but they know me. And they're not dead yet, so they still have an opportunity to repent. He goes on and says this, 16, and he requires everyone, the beast, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. The one who has an understanding must calculate the number of the beast because it has the number of a man. His number is 666. If you get a license plate with 666, man, trade that thing in. <laughs> You're driving around a beast car, man. Do you realize that when, when John writes this, that like Roman and Greek culture always, numbers were always letters? Roman numerals? 666 is, is English. Is the English numbers. When this was written, it doesn't mean anything. 666 six, six doesn't mean anything. It's just six, six, like six plus six plus, like it doesn't mean anything. He says, if you have wisdom, you won't fall for it. Oh, six, six, six. No, I have a little bit more wisdom than that. It means it's the perfect number of no rest and no completion. Because 777 is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and perfection, and a seventh day of rest. This is mankind, which means it's just nothing but 666. Never complete. Never rest. Always more. Always more. You can make it happen. You don't need to wait on God. You don't need to worship Him. You don't need to rest on Him. Oh, no, 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 no. You can do it. All God wants to do is give and bless you, man. 777 says God is the one that finishes and completes perfectly. That's the image of the beast. He says he'll be given a name or a number on his 
of his name. We don't even know what the number really is. That's an English translation. So if you get a 666 license plate, just drive it around and laugh. Be like, it doesn't mean anything. Because it represents, it's a symbol of something more. It's a symbol of people that say mankind can save us. It's all about us saving ourselves, not giving ourselves and dying like lambs. It's all about the pragmatic. It all adds up. It all works for man. It all looks good. It all plays out. That's what it means. It's the number of man. Man says, I can do it. God says, you can't. First, Second Corinthians 4 says, therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we've renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or disturbing or distorting God's message. We're not going to blasphemy. But commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. We're not going to hide it, and we're going to say, do what you want to me. I can't hide what's true. But if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You have an image of a beast. You have an image of a beast. You have the image of a dragon. And Christ is the full image of what God wants from us while we live on the earth. And we continue to reject it. Because I don't want that image. He goes on and he says, For we are not proclaiming ourselves but Jesus Christ. And remember, the name Jesus Christ means Yahweh who saves, who is the King Messiah. That's what his name means. You know, it's always amazing to me. The same people that would say the 666 number, and then they say, in Jesus' name. I'm like, you realize that like, Jesus is an English, tra- it's not even what it means. Well, you just say in Jesus' name. His name wasn't Jesus, actually. It was Joshua. Hebrew, English equivalent. Oh, and by the way, Joshua doesn't mean Joshua. It means Yahweh who saves. So literally, when you say the name of Jesus, you're saying, we can't save ourselves. We're not of men who want to save ourselves. I say Jesus saying he's the one. He's the Hosanna. He's the only one that can save because he's the lamb that was slain. And everybody else wants to be a beast. Everybody else wants to attack and make. I am telling you, I proclaim he's the one that will save me. So whatever happens, whatever I pray, I don't know if we'll get what we want. But I'm telling you, there is a one who is going to come and he will make all things right. He's the one that will save us, not us. We don't, we're not going to fix this, but he can. That's what Jesus' name means, and yet we use it, just like we use 666, as like something to slap on something to get what we want. In Jesus' name, I get what I want. Oh my gosh, that is such a false statement. You pray, God save us, Hosanna. That's what you're praying. God, this is what I want, but I recognize you're the only one that can save. So this might help us. This might not help us. This is what I want. I'm just letting you know, but I acknowledge as I say it that Jesus is the one who saves. So I put it in Jesus' name to remind myself I don't need anything. I've got everything in heaven reserved for me. So I say in Jesus' name, recognizing that I place myself under his authority. I'm not calling things into existence. I'm declaring where all the existence is, which is with my king in heaven and my homeland. Be very careful not to fall for this stuff. Don't just slap his name on there. Think about it. You're declaring him as king, as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves. Look at that. I come to you, we've been given a ministry of slavery. Because our Lord came and enslaved himself to the cross, to a human body on our behalf. And the message is no more popular today than it ever has been. It is not a popular message. 
And then he says, for God who said, let light shine in darkness, out of darkness. If you know Christ, you are the light, and the world around us is dark. And don't be surprised if they want to put the light out. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. The ways that people are going to be deceived. The ways that we just read about. According to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. That's what we just read about with the beast. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. That's how we'll get trapped. Carrying out the inclinations of our flesh. What's pragmatic. What seemed right. What felt right. And our thoughts. Well, I added it all up. It works. And we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, he has for us made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our sin, our trespasses. You are saved by grace. And together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's the point. Jesus said this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like lambs, but inwardly they're beasts. They're ravaging wolves. Look, I'm sending you out like lambs, sheep among beasts. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless, the word there is doves. Doves are really stupid. They really are. They're easy to kill. They're good to eat. Very soft meat. I don't like these references. I'm a sheep and a dove. Oh, okay. Anyway, as we wrap up, Revelation 14 says this. Then I looked. Let me ask you, what are you looking to? As we wrap up this morning, what are you looking to? Are you looking to the lamb? Are you looking for the pragmatic and how everything's work out and all the signs and will this happen and then this? And it all just ordered itself, so it must be God's will. Beast is really good at ordering your life like that. He's got a lot of people he controls to make it look like things are going a certain direction, to trap you and then eat you. That's exactly how beasts attack. So what are you looking to? Are you looking to the lamb? Are you looking to Christ? Are you saying, God, I know that it might be pragmatic and I need to do what's pragmatic, build houses, plant gardens. I need to do what I'm supposed to do. Or am I trusting in that for something more than I should be trusting it in? And there on Mount Zion stood the lamb. So after all these beasts, all these scary beasts and dragons, John says, I looked and there on Mount Zion stood the lamb. Ooh, the lamb's coming. He's going to take on a lion. This isn't going to go well. Like, no. And with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of thunder. The sound I heard was like the harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. But no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. The children of Israel were singing a song and partying about a golden calf they made. Let me ask you, are you ready to sing a song and praise and hear a song sung because of the Lamb? This is a deep passage. It's a passage that's been misconstrued and taken everywhere, but it's really just a passage that's simple. Do you want to be a beast or do you want to be a lamb? Do you want to live by pragmatism or do you want to live by faith? 
Do you want to trust the lamb and the message that he has and he has said throughout all of eternity? I gave you Old Testament, Jeremiah, Daniel. I gave you all the way through Jesus' own words. This is the message. And we still don't like it any more than the day Jesus came. But it is the message. I hope your mascot will be the lamb. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you don't do things pragmatically because you want to show us how great and awesome you are. And thank you that you use the pragmatic to show us how great and awesome you are as we wait. Lord, I pray that we would trust you to be the lamb. And I pray that you'd keep us from being beasts. Any of us can become a beast, looking to please our flesh, looking to please the flesh of our eyes and our pride. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves. And we cry out to you for your salvation and that we'd see that you are the one that paid the price that we can't pay. All we have to do is accept the invitation and our name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. We make an exchange. We lay down our life because you laid down your life for us. You paid the price we deserve so that we could be set free to serve you in this world. Lord, this message can hit people in a lot of different ways. But I pray that however it hits this morning for someone who maybe doesn't know you, that they would surrender to you finally and fully today. For those who claim to know you, I pray they would check their heart and to see, are they really living like they know you or are they just kind of playing pragmatic Christianity? And Lord, for those who may be struggling to believe, maybe they're fighting you, I pray they'd see that that fight is gonna end one day and they need to deal with that. And for those of us who know this is true and we've walked with you and it feels like we're being attacked and it's just brutal, and it's hard, I pray that we would rejoice because you tell us to. You command it. And be thankful that we get to build houses, plant gardens, give sons and daughters, and just be faithful until you come again and tell people about who you are and your coming, we pray. 